Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. I wasn't expecting to be up here today, so <laughs> bear with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Therefore, anything that becomes visible is light. Excuse me. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Redeeming the time the title of the message. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is alive, that it convicts us, it feeds us, strengthens us. It's the light for our path. Lord, I pray this morning that I might be spirit-filled, that believers might be spirit-filled, listeners, that each one of us would be tuned in to what you're trying to tell us, Lord, that we might look at this new year and the opportunity that we have to find out what is pleasing to you, that we might live our life in reflection of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God's people, since the fall, have lived in an adverse culture. Sometimes we talk about the good old days. But you go back far enough and you look at God's people, the Jews, they had their nation, and yet they didn't listen to their prophets, did they? I mean, we have all this trouble going on in our own culture. And what do we think the answer is? Well, if we just had better politicians, 
And if the politicians just made better decisions, we had more laws about racism or more laws about cheating or not spying or we, we always think that there's an answer outside instead of the heart. The heart is the answer. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? And while God gave government to legislate morality, right? It's wrong to kill. And if you kill somebody, then you go to jail or you get punished by death. People say you can't legislate morality. That's what laws do. They, do, they tell you what the culture says is right and wrong. Now, just because the culture says something's right doesn't make it right according to the word of God. So we have a different set of standards that we live by. But just like in the prophet's day when they said, Israel, you need to turn. Your heart's the problem. They ignored the prophets. They killed the prophets. You get the same response today. If you went to Washington and you went to the Senate and you said, listen, guys, the problem is not the laws you're making. The problem is the heart of man. We need revival. They'd say, yeah, whatever. If just our party was in control. If we had different people. It's the heart of man. Now, when you look at this passage, you know, you look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the fact that we've been chosen in Christ. We have this promise that we're going to live with God forever because he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. Chapter 2, he says, by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you've been created for good works. And he gets down a little further and he says, now understand that when you were saved, you were saved into the family of God. Chapter 3, he says that I wish that you were rooted and grounded in love. Chapter 4, he begins to say, this is what it looks like. So I don't want you to be a part of this. I want you to be part of that. We come to chapter 5 here. And he says, walk in love, imitate Christ. That's the job of the believer, just imitate Christ. How is that even possible? First of all, it's because when you partook of his life, when you received Christ as your savior, that became your DNA. But just like a baby that's born into your family from your, from your spouse, they have your DNA. It's not matured yet, is it? It's just a baby. But right away, the aunts and the uncles, everybody says, oh, they have her nose. Oh, hey, I see those ears, right? We, we, we look and we, we see those things. They're not matured yet, but it's in there. So we need instruction. So he says, walk in love as Christ also loved you. But then he says, because you're a new believer, you need to know some things. The old life is past. You're not to be a part of immorality. It's not even be named among you. And then he says your speech should be different. No filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Wow, that's, that's a tough one for believers. You say, whoa, we're getting legalistic now. No, we're just talking about the DNA of Jesus. This is the way Jesus was. That's what he saved you to become just like him. He wants you to grow up, Ephesians 4, into all things, 
like Christ. Then he says, judgment's coming on the children of disobedience. So don't let anybody fool you that you're saved by grace, therefore you can live like the world. God didn't save you for that. He saved you to be like Christ. So don't be partakers with them. You were darkness, now you're light. And the fruit of that salvation is light in your life. You're going to start looking more and more like Jesus. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, Romans 12 says the same thing. After all of the the, the blessings of salvation in the first 11 chapters, Paul says, now get practical. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto me. This is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind that you might find out what is that good, acceptable, the perfect will of God for your life. So it's not just an automatic. You got saved. You're not inert jelly that you just wait around and then God zaps you and then he pushes you and he molds you. He's always at work in our life because that he is our life now. But as you grow, you learn, you can make decisions about things. You can say no. Before you couldn't say no to sin, now you can. You can grow up and become stronger as you feed on the word. And then he says, not just don't be involved in the, in the works of darkness, but also show people that they're works of darkness. It says, all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. Verse 11, don't participate. Instead, expose them. Your life, as you more and more begin to resemble the life of Christ, will expose and convict the world. That's why God left you here. If he just saved you to take you to heaven, you'd be saved and raptured. But he saved you to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He wants us to be salt and light. Light exposes, so does salt. It exposes infection. Just You have a cut on your hand, just go soak in some salty water. It will expose the fact, if you didn't know it before, oh, there's a paper cut there. How do you know that? Salt. That's our opportunity. That's just a part of what you do as a believer. It doesn't mean you have to run around pointing everybody's sin out. Just the fact that you walk with God is going to be convicting. Verse 14 is kind of a challenge to those that are in the church at Ephesus, and maybe they're trying to be a Christian. Some people can do that for a while. They can do a pretty good job for a while, and then pretty soon, what happens? The wind blows, some tests come, and the chaff gets separated. But Paul writes to them, he says, hey, listen, the reason that this is so difficult for you, the reason it's impossible for you to live the Christian life is because you don't have Christ. So he says, arise, sleeper, or wake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Then we have these three verses that make it even tougher. Because we can look, Paul has these lists throughout Scripture. He has lists for elders, lists for deacons, lists for walking spiritually. Peter, he gets to 2 Peter chapter 1, and he's going to say, make sure your election in Christ, so if you have faith and add to your faith all these virtues, and we get these lists, and we think, oh, I just can't do it. 
Now, there are some that can. There are some people that are just naturally, God has gifted them to be self-disciplined. And they might make you feel guilty because they just happen to be a very disciplined person. That's not what Paul's trying to tell you here. Look at these last three. Be careful how you walked, not as unwise men, but as wise. Circumspectly. That you are paying attention to your life. The next verse he says, make the most of your time. Now he's not talking about sit down and make a schedule for every day so that uh, you have a, an accountability for every minute. Although we read this morning in Psalm 90, teach me to number my days so that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. But the idea is the whole. How are you living your life? What are you living your life for? And you come to the end of the year, that's a good thing to look back and say, hmm, what am I investing my life in? One way is to look at your checkbook. Look at the checkbook. What you're spending money on is what you're investing your life in because that just represents all the money you're making and then where it's going. So it's not bad to examine those things and say, hmm, Am I making the most of my time? The days are evil. Now, the, the older you get, the faster it goes. Isn't that right? Whew. Another year like that. I remember being in grade school and thinking, I'll never get to junior high. And I don't know if I can handle high school anyway. It's so hard. Those guys got homework and, you know. And all of a sudden, it's in the rearview mirror. 30, 40 years. Whew like that. Young people don't believe you. But the older you get, the faster it goes. And so Paul in his wisdom is saying, are you, are you just, are you considering the path of your feet? The wise man just considers, what am I investing my life in? Not, do you not enjoy life? People say, oh, I'm spending too much time with this or that. No, no, it's not that God said you can't enjoy, enjoy your life. But you may be missing out on the great enjoyment if you're investing the wrong, in your life the wrong things. Then he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, it's all wrapped up in that. God's will. And so as a believer, you can get paralyzed and say, oh, I don't know if it's God's will. Or you can give the Sunday school answer. What are you, you going to do? You ask a young person, uh, they're graduating from high school or they're graduating from college. What are you going to do with your life? What, what do you want to do? Oh, I just want to do God's will. They, that's all it means. Then whatever they do, I guess that's God's will. Not a Sunday school answer. But what is God's will for your life? Well, know this. The next verse gives us the answer. It's God's will that we be spirit-filled. As believers, you've been saved. You've been obedient in the waters of baptism. That's the first step for every believer to announce to the world, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. Believer's baptism. And then to be spirit-filled. Why? Because, beloved, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. About relationship. Isn't that good news? It's not writing more rules down or putting a checklist off and, oh, I think I wasted three minutes today. I watched the news. I, I really enjoyed that. That's bad. 
I listen to Rush too long. No, no, it's how am I investing my life? So he says it's not the rules, it's relationship. So he says, don't be drunk with wine. Say, so where did that come from? He just throws that in there out of the blue. Don't be, because he was talking to a culture that believed in sympathetic worship. So if you wanted to worship the God of wine, Bacchus, you go get drunk and then you could communicate with the gods in that inebriated state. He said, no, we're not like the pagans. You want to be more like God. It's not like the pagans who they get drunk and they can communicate out of their mind. No, no, God has given us not the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, but of love, power, and of love, and of a disciplined mind. So you have the Holy Spirit. Now you can make decisions about that. So don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we going to have that service or what? No, he's not talking about some emotional experience you have because the parallel passage is Colossians 3, 15 and 16. And he, in, in Colossians 3, he, and, and the reason it's parallel because he talks about the same things after that, about the family, about husband-wife relationships, about being the right kind of employee, being the right kind of boss. That's why we know it's parallel. So he says, let the, 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 the peace of Christ rule and reign in your life. Man, that's, what a blessing. From the moment you receive Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with him. And the Bible says if he's your shepherd, he will direct your path. Now you can quench the Holy Spirit and say, well, I'm not doing that. Maybe you've had a bad experience and you're bitter and so you, I'm just, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna trust God in my life. But when you submit to him, he directs your path. He'll lead you by the still waters. He'll cause you to lie down in the green pastures. He'll restore your soul. Even if you walk through the valley shadow of death, you don't have to fear. Why? Because your shepherd's with you. It's relationship. So first of all, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 12 it says now we've received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we speak not in words taught by human wisdom but those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words so here we have the spiritual words God is not going to leave lead you or give you peace about something that he teaches against okay he doesn't do that so don't try to make God the architect of your sin. Well, you know, I fell in love with the unsaved girl, so God had me marry her. No, that was all you. Now you're there, okay? So how are you going to act now? See, that's the deal. So confess your sin and say, okay, Lord, we're here now. I was sinful. I did the wrong thing. I tried to justify, but here I am. That can happen in a lot of areas, in business, all kinds of areas. The Bible speaks to one thing, but we just run, well, I felt good about it. And they called it the peace of God. The peace of God is not in opposition to the word of God. But when you see the word of God, then God can lead your spirit and give you the thoughts and they will mesh. They'll be the same thing. Romans 12, 2 again. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't try to justify your actions. Be conformed to the word of God. 
so you can find out what his perfect will is because what a joy that is. That's what God is leading us to so we can find that real place of peace and joy. Now, what is spirit filling? Number one, it's the peace of Christ. Secondly, Colossians 3.16, it is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. That means the word rules in your life. It's the idea of letting God as the architect come and rearrange your whole life. He does the decorating. He does the coloring. He puts the furniture in there. Let the word be the architect in your life. So it, become, it begins when you have a decision. Well, first question is, what does the word say? Simple, not easy. Because we can run down our own path and just try to justify it. We can say, hold it, stop. The word says no, so I can't do that. And then there, there's the peace of Christ. And he leads us because you have relationship. So don't let the world cram you into its mold. Don't just look at your feelings. You look at the word. And you say, Lord, what's your will in this? You're talking to him. You're praying about things. Maybe you're saying, Lord, I have these two paths and I just have no idea what you want from me. But your heart is, Lord, I know that you have my very best. So I want to do what brings you glory. That's being filled with the Spirit. It's not some ecstatic, out-of-body or crazy experience you have where you lose your mind and you fall over. This isn't even the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Anointing is, is you know, Samson, uh, the, the Spirit came upon him and he took the jawbone of an ass and he wipes out a bunch of Philistines. No, this is a decision that you as a believer has to have the potential to make. You know what? I need to be closer with the Lord. Where does that start? It starts with his word. It starts with prayer. It makes him the priority of your life. You want to make the most of your time on earth? You want to invest it right? Walk with Christ. Just walk with him. Acknowledge him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. He'll make your investment of life that which he can say, well done, faithful servant. What's the result of putting our trust in him? Some would say, oh, well, if I just follow the Lord, life's going to be gray and dull because I won't have any fun. It'll just be colorless. You have no idea. You see, walking with the Lord is the adventure that only believers know about. To be able to just say, Lord, just simple things. Lord, Lord, I, I need some tires and uh, put you first in my giving. And so I need tires. And I knew that because I was trusting you to provide for the tires. And I wanted to just show that you were the ownership in my life. And so I gave what you wanted me to give to, to you in the offering. And here we are, Lord. You know I need tires. Yeah, God cares about those things. He said, you don't have to struggle after the things of this world, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Your father knows that you have need of all those things. How many times, I can't believe how many times I would walk out of the store because, and I've told you before, my, you know, shoes are important to athletes. They are. 
And, and their mom didn't always understand that, that they had to have different shoes for football and baseball and basketball and wrestling, track, different shoes. She said, well, they're all feet on the ground. Nope, Christy, you don't understand. And God wants us as dads to be modeling how our heavenly father is. And so the Lord knew the boys had need of shoes and they go through shoes fast, don't they? Especially when they're little. They wear out the toes before they wear out the bottoms. And their toes are wiggling through the top. And so they don't have to say, oh, father, you can see that I need shoes. And then you go, man, we got to get you some new shoes, don't we? God is the same way in our life. And so I go in the store and there'd be a sale. And I had enough money to buy the boy's shoes. And would walk out of the store. Inevitably the Holy Spirit just would warm your heart. And I'd get tears in my eyes and I'd say, thank you God for caring about my boy's shoes. Because he provides he knows he needs you need tires. He knows what's going on in your life. And you can get all frustrated and try to figure out how to do it yourself. You can say, Lord, we're in this thing together. I believe that I'm doing what you want me to do. But I understand. But the great, amazing, overwhelming joy of knowing that God did that in your life, the world doesn't know about that. They have no idea what it means for the shepherd to reach down and give them out of all the abundance of his riches. Because it's not about you. It's about him and his testimony, about his life, about his worship. What's the result of just trusting in him with all our heart and not leaning our understanding and all our ways acknowledging him? Say, God, you see what's going on here, right? I mean, I know you know, but I'm just letting you know that I know that you know. He says, it'll be worship. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's the result of just an obedient walk. He says, Lord, I don't know what's going on right here. You got to help me love my wife the way Jesus loved the church. Lord, you gotta, you got to help us with this need we have. And out of the blue, God gives you a thought. He gives you a verse of scripture. He opens a door. And you go on your way saying, I can't believe God did that. Well, you should have. He promised he would. But over and over, we're just finding out more and more how much God loves us. And what does that produce? Worship. Worship. And it ought to be the testimonies of the Lord. That somebody says, how's your day going? I got to tell you, man, we were in a corner. And God gave us this. Worship. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to him. Hey, man, this psalm, Psalm 37, I was thinking I had to labor and labor to try to, you know, get more spiritual. And I was reading Psalm 37 today. And it says, if you just walk with the Lord, he's going to bring forth your righteousness like the sun coming up. Isn't that amazing? He cares that about much about me that he's more concerned about my spiritual growth than I am because he's my father. And you're going to share that with one another. 
Oh, listen, I was reading scripture today and I got this verse and it so blessed me because, and you share the testimony. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then it says, always giving thanks for all things. Gonna make you a thanksgiving Christian. When you walk with the Lord, you're gonna start seeing all the things that God does that you might have missed before. You might have said, oh, that was a lucky deal. Oh, man, I'm, there's a big chance. Oh, that was really great. But when you're walking with the Lord, when you're spirit-filled, you say, no, God did that. God did that. And the last thing, humility. It produces spiritual humility because you realize it's not about you being in control. It's not about your great, big, wonderful decisions. It's God's leadership in your life. So you can be subject to one another because you're subject to the Lord. You're one of the sheep of his pasture. It's not hard for you to kneel down and worship him. It's not hard. It grows easier and easier to realize that God can work differently in one of his other children's life than he does in yours because he's God and we're not. And it comes to the place in our life, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. You can't look back at a year and not see some times that were tough. Be anxious for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the God of peace, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds. But the question is this morning, is the Lord your shepherd? Have you made that decision of your life to submit to him? Like I said in Romans 10, 9, and 10, where Ben ended last week, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. Have you had that conversation with God? What a wonderful thing to begin a new year as a new creature, as part of his family. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us once again that you will bring forth our righteousness if we just submit to you. We'll walk with you. Lord, give us a, a new appetite for your word. Lord, we're so thankful that you've promised faithful is he that calls who will also bring it to pass. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.